What a great reminder that we're all leaning on the everlasting arms of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we are coming together, we're continuing in our series of Truth Matters. And it matters more and more each day, especially as truth is just so confused so distorted Uh, we live in an era where uh, i'm hearing more and more all the time statements like well well that's your fact it's like i thought a fact was a fact um but i i guess not and so we've been talking a lot about progressive christianity and progressive christianity has really a, a a bigger kind of you know, overarching concept. You, you don't usually hear churches, you know, say that the Church of Progressive Christianity Ravensdale, uh, it's not done like that. That's why it's, it's so tricky. Uh, it's embedded in the teaching. It's embedded in the music. It's embedded in, in the philosophy behind the teaching. And so what we're trying to do is, is draw that out with this series and, and really be more pointed. And as we've mentioned before, the goal is not to be political, uh, although these issues have become political and they've become uh, entrenched in the church. And that's our concern. Our concern is how the political has now moved into the church. And, and, and let's be crystal clear. Uh, the, the teaching, our beliefs, all should emanate from the word of God. N- not from a person, not from a, a political party. Uh, not from a denomination, not from a tradition. It's God's word. And so if God says it's so, then it's so. And and that's our goal and desire. Well, one of the great threats that we see in Christianity right now, especially in the progressive Christian movement is, and it's not new. uh, In fact, it's got a label. And again, most people don't use it, but it's called the seeker-friendly movement. And the seeker-friendly movement is is well-intentioned. It's well-intentioned. The idea and the premise is a desire and and a devotion to save the lost. Uh, That should be our desire. That is a Christian desire to save, to seek and save those who are lost, who don't know the gospel. The problem is there's two key components where they've failed miserably. One is, well, in order to sell the gospel, they're selling a soft-serve gospel. Right? It's a, it's a half gospel. It's a gospel that doesn't include things like sin or repent or hell. Um, and so it's an unbiblical gospel. Uh, it's, it's a half truth, which makes it a whole lie. Again, we don't get to pick and choose what, what we want to from God's word. Um, that's... That's not for us to, to, to decide. And so we have a, a, a concern. We have a, legitimately, a, a legitimate concern that, that there's a fake gospel, which means fake teaching, which means fake churches. And we're seeing these churches grow and explode. And basically, the, the more you tickle people's ear and tell them that there's not a problem, then the faster and the bigger the church grows. Uh, They don't have to repent. They don't have to change. They don't have to conform. They don't have to obey. Well, uh, who doesn't 
want to join that kind of club. And so we're, we're going to look at this idea of, of you know, seeker-friendly or easy believism. And, and, and again, just for clarification, it is easy to believe. It is simple to become a Christian. Uh, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It, it, it's easy. There, there's not ten steps, right? Um, it's all right. There's not ten steps. There's not, uh, you know, a, a process other than genuine faith. It's easy. But let's not confuse that with there's, there's no elements to it. And, and yes, we don't want to be the seeker unfriendly church, right? That, that's not our goal at all. But we have to be honest. We have to be true. Uh, we, we want to emulate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came to seek and save the lost. But we can't be so desperate that we just water down uh, our beliefs, water down Christianity to where it's just some, some version of, of what the outside world would choose and want. A better way to label it would be a cheap grace. It's just taking grace for granted. We, we have our concepts. Look, God loves. Yes, God loves. God loves everybody. Uh, but God has standards. God has judgment, right? There is judgment. There is hell. And so we don't get to change God's standards or his rules. It, it's not my standards or rules. I, I didn't create or invent these rules. They're, they're not like, it's not because I grew up a certain way and wanted to, you know, just teach people what I believe. No, we, we go to the word. And if the word says stealing's wrong, guess what? Stealing's wrong. If the word says gossip is, is sin, then gossip is sin. The word says fornication, sin. Then fornication, sin. doesn't matter what year it is. doesn't matter what city. doesn't matter what culture. We don't get to dictate that. And so we're called to obedience. If you love me, Jesus says, then you keep my commandments. There are commandments. There are our rules. But, but how does this work together? Um, one of the things that we see in the progressive Christian movement, especially within the churches, it, it, it's very political. It's very political. Um, in fact, it's just another form of the, the ultimate virtue signal, right? The ultimate virtue signal is in the Christian world is, is, is to run around and, and we want everybody saved. I hope that's our goal. I hope that's our desire. I hope it's not our desire to judge, to be unmerciful. May it never be that that's the way we think. But with that being said, again, there, there are standards. Um, and so just saying that we want everybody saved doesn't speak to, well, what about the dangers? Uh, yes, we like to talk about heaven, but do we talk about the danger of hell? Do we put up the warning signs of, of, of caution? Do not go this way. Do not touch, do not taste, do not do, because that's all, all part of it. I, I wanted to fly through, and I, and I do mean fly through, um, but just some reminders of what God's Word says. A again, when we're talking about these things, I want you to have a, a clear picture of, well, this is what God's standard is. 
this is what sin is. Uh, Proverbs 6, there are six things which the Lord hates. This is what the Lord hates. These are an abomination. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among his brothers. Now I venture to say that everyone in this room has broken one of those sins that God hates and is an abomination. You, you might notice some of the sins that aren't in that list. Um, we go to Romans, Romans, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Romans 1 talks about things that are, are of a depraved mind, not proper. Romans 1.29, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. These two are sins. We look at Colossians. Let me go to Galatians first since I'm already there. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 19. Now here are the deeds of the flesh. These are sinful deeds. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, we, we see here's a list. Here's a list of things that we should not do. Here's a list of things that we should not practice. Because again, we are fallen, sinful creatures. We sin. But we don't like it. We, we, don't, we don't identify with that. No, we fight the sin. We battle the sin. We repent from the sin. We make it our life's goal not to practice that sin. Colossians 2.5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead. We're, we're to, as Christians, we're to consider these things dead to us. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which accounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. The, the, there's wrath. And so if, if we are truly loving, if we are truly kind, if we truly do care about the lost, then we will warn them about these things that the Lord says are evil, wicked, and sinful, and we're not to do, that we're called not to do these things. Um, finally, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, for, nor swimmers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if we stopped there, we would be shaking in our boots. 
right? Because like I said, every one of the us has violated numerous uh, sins on this list. There is no sin that's greater than the other sin. You, you break God's law, you're a lawbreaker. You require payment and atonement for that sin. And so we've got to get out of our minds that there's some like boogeyman sin out there that, that trumps all sins. But we also have to get out of our mind that, that we just forget it or blow it off. Uh, I was looking at a, cor- a quarter, but it's kind of small. And I didn't think your old eyes could see because um, I know mine couldn't. But I was thinking of a coin. And so, you know, I just read you like this, this list, right, of law. Like, that's the law. That is what God's word says. But you know, there's another side to the coin, isn't there? For by grace, we've been saved through faith. And it's a gift of God. And there's a gracious God. There's a forgiving God. There's a kind God. There's a merciful God who's, who's died on the cross and paid the price for our sin. But the truth is, there, there's two sides to the coin. We make great mistakes when we only focus on one or the other side. One side is the legalist who only talks about the law. The other one is the easy believism or the seeker friendly who has no standards of the law. We don't want to make either one of those mistakes. The irony of all ironies is there's a third side. There's the other side too. The fringe, right? That we kind of, or the gray that we like to think that we, we live in. Well, at the end of the day, we don't get to pick. We embrace the full and complete word of God. So at all times, we, we have to understand all dimensions and all sides of the coin. We, we want to make heads or tails out of it, right? So we want to make heads or tails out of this seeker-friendly move, movement because we love the title. And we, we love the desire to, to save the lost. But we want to understand the true elements of genuine Christian faith. That, that's our whole goal. And so James 2, we're going to see that Christian faith without works is dead. We're going to explain Christian faith by works. We're going to see that Christian faith working with works. And then Christian faith is justified by works. So a little context in James 1, if you're turning with me to James 1, verse 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now it's interesting, because here's this letter written to a church, and it begins with this concept of understanding, you know what, you're going to have trials, there's going to be problems in your life. I, again, I think all of us can attest to that. Uh, the older you get, the list just gets longer, right? The, the list changes and gets different. We all have trials. It's going to happen. Uh, verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You're going to have trials. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. This isn't a temptation by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. 
and he himself does not tempt anyone with evil. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed to his own lust. Then when the lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. And so that's kind of the way we, we start in James 1. We pushes forward to some practical things. James 1.19, uh, this you know, my beloved brother, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Good tip. Verse 22, but prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So, so yes, there's going to be trials. There will be trials. There, there's sin that we're going to fight. But we have to prove ourselves to be doers of God's word even through that. Even through that. And so what does this look like? Well, James 2.14 uh, gives us some some insight. And the first explanation for how faith works together is faith without works is dead. Verse 14, what use is it, brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? I have grace. I have grace. God is loving. God is kind. But he has no works. Can that faith save him? That's the question. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead all by itself. So, so what's being said here? Well, you have to have a faith that, that matches what you're saying. So you say, look, um, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I have faith in Jesus. Um, well, then you should have a lifestyle like Jesus, a lifestyle that has mercy on the sinner, that has mercy on the widow, orphan, poor, that has self-control, right? that fights sin. Well, it's interesting because non-believers get this. They understand it. This is why they don't want to go to church. This is why they won't say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe. Because they don't want to follow and obey and live the way that Jesus would call and command us to live. Just ask them. See, but we get afraid, right? We're so desperate that, that they become a Christian, but, but we don't ask them the basic questions. Why aren't you a Christian? That's a simple question. Why don't you believe? Why don't you want to follow the Bible? And then just quiet and listen. They, they will be honest with you. They're more honest than we are. We have to be more honest. We have to actually live it out. We say we love Jesus. We say we love the lost, but what do we do? Do we do anything about it? And that's where the rubber meets the road. Verse 15. And here's just a, a, a quick example. You say you love Jesus, but you step over people who are in need. And I'm talking about real need. I'm not talking about people who've, who've chosen a lifestyle. 
And even in that, you're supposed to have compassion and mercy. Um, instead of saying, yes, 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 just go in peace, my brother. I mean, you, you can hear the mockery in this verse. And so the statement then is, well, you can say you have faith, but, but if there's no works, if there's no action behind it, when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Jesus? When was the last time you laid that out to your neighbor, to your family, to somebody at church? And I don't mean in a judgmental way, in, in, a, in a compassionate way. And again, by just asking simple questions. Why aren't you a Christian? Just simple question. Well, genuine faith in Matthew 7 reminds us genuine faith has fruit. See, we should be able to see some bearing of fruit. Some bearing of fruit. So if we say we care about the poor, then what are you doing about the poor? If we say we care about the sinner, what are you doing about the sinner? Are, are you living out all the sides of the coin or just just one side you just focus on on one side and remember neither side in and of itself is the right side it's all sides and so a second explanation that we see here is faith by my works faith by my works because the question is well how does how does the, how does this work verse 18 but but if someone may say well, you, look, you have faith. I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, right? So here's the, the argument. Okay, look, uh, you're, you're a doer. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a prayer. I just pray about it, or it's, I just keep it to myself. Um, you, you're, you're more showy than, than I am. Either, either way, we're both doing good. We're both doing good. Verse 19 takes a different turn. You believe that God is one. You do well. So, so now it gets into kind of the theo theological side. Well, it's actually more, more about what you believe doctrinally than kind of what you do. Where's your doctrine? What are your creeds of confession? What's your theology on, on, on God and Jesus and end times? And let, let, let's get deep here. God is one. That's the Trinity, right? That, that's a, a, a triune statement. That's a theological statement. The response here is, hey, great. Good for you. You, 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 you get a check mark. Even the demons know that big deal so you can quote some scripture so you know some theology so th this this first really has haunted me at times the demons also believe and shudder i'll take it another step the demons know the demons have seen we live by faith right we, we don't know we haven't seen the demons have seen they can quote scripture they can say yeah there's a god S seen him i believe that there is a god but not i believe to follow right and, and that's what's scary because someone could understand theology someone could 
No, yeah, I, I, I know Christianity is real. But they don't act on it. They're, they're like the demons who actually know but don't do. And so, the idea here is, well, there's the, your, your faith is going to be evident by your works. How you work. Well, the first question we might want to ask is, well, what, what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Right? Does the works come and then the faith or the faith come and then the works? Well, some of us have chickens in this room and have raised chickens. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. Right? The chicken comes first. The, the, the grace comes first. The faith comes first. And then the fruition of that is the works. Okay? Then after that, we see works. Look, there's plenty of people in this world who are, quote unquote, better people than us. Meaning they serve the homeless. They serve the poor. They do things for the, the weak and downtrodden. They do it better than us. And, and the response is, well, that's not the full and complete picture. It's faith and works together. Just doing the works doesn't mean anything if you don't have the faith. Just having the faith doesn't mean anything if you don't complement that with the works. So we're supposed to have a response, right? The cause is grace. The effect is the works or the fruit. So if we're truly, genuinely followers of Christ, then we're going to have hearts that are are hearts that are, are thankful and grateful. Hearts that are looking to have a, a purpose of glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We're going to have a, a sense of duty and obligation. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey me. We will have a sense of surrendering our, our, our self and, and bowing the knee before the throne of God and following Jesus, denying ourself, picking up our cross and following him. We will, as Romans 6 says, be now slaves of righteousness, not unrighteousness. See, that's the effect of grace. That's the, what happens after grace. That's how, how, how the two sides of the coin now work together. Well, the third explanation of how this works, how faith works, is faith working with works, verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his own son, on the altar? The answer is yes. He was justified by that his faith caused him to follow and obey the voice of God, which was the work. And so he was justified by that faith. Uh, turn with me to, to Hebrews. It's, it's, we, we, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is, here's the heroes of faith, right? Now, we can't make the mistake, again, of thinking in our brains that faith is like this, this one side of the coin. It's just... It's just a kind of a, an esoteric belief. 
What you see in Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, what? People do. People act. People live in response. Uh, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to the place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You see how it, it works together? Faith working together with, with the doing. With the doing. We see again in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendant shall be called. See, Isaac was rendered righteous because of this action. He was justified by faith. Do you, you see how that becomes one statement put together? So, so it, it, faith functions and operates together. It's like a car without a battery. You got this big old expensive car worth a hundred thousand dollars and if that little battery isn't connected guess what it's not going anywhere you know you you can bake without yeast right it's it's not going to work we we need these things working together and i, and I like the statement you oh, you foolish one you foolish one see we we and we studied this in romans one we in, in our desperation to suppress the truth, we, we become futile in speculations to anything. We become foolish. We think we're wise, but we're actually foolish. We get into these theological discussions. Well, and, and this was a key theological debate since the days of Martin Luther. Martin Luther preached James 3 or James 2. Faith without works is dead. And they wanted to stone him for heresy. Why? Because you're teaching works righteousness. Right? That you have to earn your way into heaven. No, 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 no. We cannot earn our way into heaven. And we have to be sure and clear that we make that point. That, that this idea here of faith without works being useless isn't to suggest that you have to work your way into heaven. No, th th this is a, a, a result. This is a result of our faith and love for our master that we live, that we do, that we obey, that we follow. And so faith becomes directly tied with our actions. I, I think of Abraham again. And Abraham, by faith, was not only he circumcised, but his whole family circumcised. And, you know, we had an opportunity to, you know, in, in our own way, do the same thing. We, we can debate and argue and look at science and all kinds of different studies and, and whatnot today about whether or not we should, you know, not that it was my choice, but baptize our grandson. But at the end of the day, the, you know the real reason why we baptize our grandchildren, why we baptize our sons? By faith. That's the truth. Because God says to do it. And so we're going to follow in that tradition of what God said, not because of the science, 
But we're going to yield to the throne of God. Um, and let the Lord bless that as he, as he deems. Well, the final explanation of faith works is our faith is justified by our works. Was justified mean? That's just a Greek term for it, it's demonstration. It's a demonstration or a or a fruit or a blossoming of. So so our faith is is justified by the blossoming of of the works. Verse twenty four. You see that a man is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot? She's in the Hebrews eleven. Uh, heroes of faith too. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? Again, we have to be careful here. The justification isn't the work. That that's a a, um, a blossoming. It's a blossoming. It's a it's a fruition of faith. It's not the the action of faith. The the faith came before the action. And so the harlot was also justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So here's the thing. We're, we're, we're supposed to be new creatures in Christ. We, we identify with, with Jesus now. We identify with Christ. We don't identify with the past. We don't identify f- with who we were. See, that's one of the cardinal sins that, that we see in this progressive movement. It, is it so filled with the, the psychology of the world, the psychology of the world that constantly wants to look back? What happened to you when you were eight years old? That's why you're a sinner today. What did your mommy or daddy do? That's why you're a sinner today. You're a sinner today because you're a sinner today. You've had plenty of time to get over it, repent, grow and move on. Paul addresses that in Philippians. Forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to what lies ahead, to the upward goal. Why? Why are we forgetting what lies behind? Because that's the past. That's the dead. That's the old guy. It completely undermines the, 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 the gospel. The gospels, we're new creatures in Christ. We, we've, we've been saved by this faith to be what? Born again. Not reborn into the same old dude. What sense does that make? That Jesus says, you need to be born again. You need to identify with me, die, be buried, and raise again. That's the identification that we have with Christ. So we don't look backwards. There's no reason to look backwards. You know what's backwards? Sin. A lot of sin. A lot of pain. A lot of suffering. Okay, we've been covered. We've made that payment. You guys don't look in your, your past records, right? And old credit card payments and mortgage slips from 20 years ago. I want to look at that mortgage slip from 20 years ago. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. But see, if we wanted to create a system where we were all still mired in our sin, 
and stayed the way we were and identified with identifications of sin, well, that would prohibit us from flourishing and moving forward. You, you can see the, the diabolical, diabolical wickedness that's embedded in that system. It's the whole point of the good news. We have good news. We have good news for those who are lost. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how big, small, insignificant, major, you can be forgiven for your sin. Not because of the things you're going to do, but because of what Christ did, because of what Jesus did, because he died on the cross, paid for the sin in full, and now you can walk in the newness of life. But look, the newness of life is, is again, the fulfillment of this full coin. The newness of life is receiving that grace, receiving that mercy, being forgiven from the past, but also now being obedient. You've got a new daddy. You have a new master. Right? We follow him. We obey him. We put aside the flesh. Now look. We still struggle with sin. Again, there's no one in this room who could stand before the throne of God and say, I'm sinless. Which again is why we go back to the cross, which is why we come back to the gospel. And we work together our faith with our works. And this is all part of our sanctification. It's all part of our growth and our process. And we make grace cheap when we lie about it. We don't have to lie about it. We don't have to lie about who we were or we don't have to lie about how we're struggling. We, we don't. This is a struggle for me, but I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it till the day I die. For some, it's going to be until the day you die, you are going to fight this little devil within, but you're going to fight it. Why? Because you have a new daddy. Because you know he does not like this. He says, this is wrong. This is sin. Don't do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. When you break them, then you fight again the next hour, the next day, and you keep fighting and fighting. Why? Because you want to serve your master. And so, yes, the gospel is offensive, but that doesn't mean you're offensive. The gospel is offensive because people don't want to follow God. They don't want to give up their sinful activities. They, they don't want to do it. They don't want to admit and confess their sin before the throne of God. They want to pretend like it's not sin and like it doesn't matter. But see, we admit and confess our sin. We admit and, and confess that, that we can't pay the price. Oh, you need a crutch. Yeah, I need a crutch. And that, that statement's crazy. Jesus is just a crutch. Yes. You know why? Because I'm crippled. Because I, I can't walk on my own. I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do. There's no sermon I can preach. There's no check I can write. There's no activity that I can do that, that can save me. So yes, I'm, I, I'm unable to save myself. I am complete submission before my God. I need a Savior. 
There's no weakness in that. That's your strength. Your strength is I can't conquer this. I can't defeat this sin on my own. I'm, I'm just hanging by a, a thin thread. I need Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Carry me through. It's that, that, that footprints, you know, poster. You know, or, you know, somebody's praying. They're on the beach and, you know, they're walking. They're, there's these footprints. And they're praying about this, this problem in their life. And, and, and Lord, I look back and where were you? Where were you in my time of need, in my time of desperation? And the response is, those aren't your footprints. Those are Jesus' footprints carrying you. And you didn't even know it. You didn't even realize it. Well, as we prepare to take communion, that's the, that's the requirement. The requirement for communion begins with sin. It begins with you admitting and confessing that you're a sinner, that you're not any better than anybody outside of the doors, than anybody next, next to you, other than you have now made that confession of faith. You have yielded before the throne of God. That's the difference. And that makes all the difference. Romans 10.9, confess with your mouth. A proclamation. Believe in your heart. Well, that belief is what we're studying in, in James 2. The belief is also shown by the fruit or by the works. And so we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because we believe in that, and because we believe that He is the living Son of God and the third person of the triune Godhead, that's who we follow and obey. And we believe that he gave us his word and we're going to follow and obey his word. Even when everybody else in culture and society and all around us, even a lot of the churches around us are saying otherwise, we follow scripture. And so as I ask Livy to come up and pass out the elements, everybody who's made this confession of faith is then welcome to partake in communion. The admission is that we're now following a new master, that we're slaves to obedience, and that our trust and our hope and our faith in not perishing and not spending eternal damnation in hell is built on the basis that Jesus has paid the price for our sin. This is a, a message of hope. This is a message that's for everybody. And we never give up. I think of the, the thief on the cross that it's never too late. Never ever is it too late to identify with Christ. And so as we meditate on the element here, this is the body of Christ that it's representing. And we're identifying with Christ, not ourselves, not our family, not our denomination, with Christ. So think about that.
Romans 5.11 says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. It's by faith that we come before the throne of God. It's by faith that we are able to present ourselves now as slaves of righteousness, as instruments, as tools. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? When we celebrate communion, again, we're not celebrating this because we've reached a state of perfection uh, we, we have not but but we have decided to become slaves of obedience uh, we have de- decided to uh, put our allegiance with the Lord who is also our Savior and that's part of that coin right we, we often present and talk about Jesus as the Savior. And He is the Savior, but He's also the Lord. Consider that as part of your identification. The communion table is a celebration. It's sobering because we're reminded that there was a death, that there was a sacrifice, but that was required. It was necessary. The, the cup represents the blood, which is the, the actual payment. The body's the identification. So when we take this again, we, we take it together. But we do that because we have great news that we've been forgiven of our sin. And we have even better news that we can walk out the doors and share this with others. And share the good news, share the great news that sin can be forgiven. But we can't hide from the fact that there should be a change of life. There will be a change of life. And, and you can't continue serving the old master. 
And so we give the complete and full gospel. And so when we take communion, we're, we're identifying with our confession of faith. And so take the bread in remembrance of Christ's body. And then the cup, which not only represents the payment for sin, but also the banquet celebration. We rejoice and we celebrate and we give thanks. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your word that reminds us that faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's not real. And so, Lord, we can always look at ourselves in the mirror. We can always examine our own hearts to see where we're at, to see if we are are truly identifying and united with you. And if we're struggling and if we're on the wrong path, Lord, that, that we have opportunities to, to correct, not just self-correct, Lord, but to seek your help in that. Lord, we're so thankful that you have not left us alone. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You, you've given us each other. And so help us as iron sharpens iron to lift up one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before... Um